So many choices. Can't choose which one will 10x your company? Time to see if A-B testing can help you grow your business. The key to successful marketing and sales initiatives is to use an iterative approach and test everything you do to find out what will get the best results. We are going to talk about whether A or B will work best on this Screenbox podcast. Please like our podcast and subscribe to our channel to get notified when the next podcast is released. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Streaming box technology and business rundown. Making the wrong decision can cost you thousands, but can A/B testing make you millions? Welcome to the Screaming Box Technology and Business Rundown podcast. In this month's podcast, my co-host Botan Sedesh and I, Dave Erickson are going to see if A is better than B by talking to Nils Kopelman, founder of 3Tech. Nils has a background in software engineering and design and studied computer science in Berlin. He focuses on helping mission-driven companies grow online and enables them to make better decisions. In this podcast, we are going to test the limits of A-B testing and find out if it can help your business grow. So Nils, anything you'd like to add? It's just perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised how well stitched together it is. Well, thanks. So everyone kind of has their own understanding of what they think A-B testing is. Maybe you can kind of give us uh, your definition or your concept of what you think A-B testing is. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, depending on the background people come from, uh, A-B testing is oftentimes... Um, named in the same sentence as CRO, conversion rate optimization. This is also where I had my first touch points with A-B testing. But if we look at A-B testing, the essence it is really a tool to test two variations of something um, that could be a website or an email or something and see which one of those performs better on a given metric. And basically, this is the essence of A-B testing. And there is so many things that... Uh, you can go into uh, with it to to make all sorts of decisions. Might that that could be like as I said, a change in an email headline or a body. Or um, what we do primarily is uh, for for e-coms where we or e-com and, and, and SaaS where we help them optimize their their uh, their website, right? Their their landing page and all these kind of things. And the essence is reducing risk by just by just rolling out changes without knowing the outcome and. That's probably my, my first take on it. Let's see where we go in this podcast. Well, Nils, uh, anything that has to do with statistics in general, and I suppose A-B testing has a lot to do with statistics, um, we can't help but wonder, like, in your opinion, what is the ideal sample size or what is the minimum viable sample size for uh, these tests? So... I wish I could give uh, the, the simplest answer and tell you three or ten or a hundred thousand, but the reality is um, it really depends of the kind of on, on the kind of change you want to measure. So um, what I usually recommend doing is actually go into a calculator like the one you can find on 
uh, CXL or something, right? There's like A-B testing calculators or sample size calculators that we also use in, as part of our, what we call pre-test analysis um, to basically find out how long a test has to run because this is the other thing that um, is usually relevant, right? The, the sample size is basically how many people do have, have to be in, in each variant. This is the control and the variation. So the, 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 the version that has no change and the version that has a change. And now the website or a website usually doesn't have just um, a sample size. It has traffic. So let's say we have 100,000 visitors a month. Um, and if, on, say on one page. So um, let's see how many people we actually need per variant. So if we take an A-B test where we have split it by in half, so 50% see one, 50% see the other, then we only have 50, right? 50,000 uh, visitors. Um, and these calculators basically give you an understanding of after what time can you measure what, um, what impact um, on the site and, and thereby um, find out the sample size. If I was to look at definitions by Ronnie Kohavi, for example, only very, very high traffic websites are able to properly test changes. Unfortunately, I can't give you the, the, the perfect number, um, but usually it's in, in the high tens and hundreds of thousands. But if you had a, a website and it was getting traffic, you know, a thousand visitors a month or, you know, 10,000 visitors a month, and you know the the objective of the business is I want to make it so that I convert better with the people hitting my website convert better. So they may take a look at what are the calls to action or the things that that are used to convert traffic. So if you were doing A/B testing, you know you would take a, a component like I guess the first call to action, and you would try one call to action, and then you'd try another call to action. How is that actually done? Like, are you doing it on the website or do you set up a separate landing page and test it that way? What are kind of the, the mechanics of setting up something to do an A-B test on some kind of component of a website? Sure, so I'll answer that independent of the, the, the sample size or the traffic. But the, um, the basic idea is of A-B testing that we somehow split people into two buckets. And actually, the process itself is called bucketing. So um, there is various ways of doing this. There is one, the server-side way of doing it. This is where this computation of like dropping people in these buckets uh, on some criteria, based on some criteria is done on the server-side. And then probably the more popular way um, and, and the one that's more attainable for most um, companies, especially those starting out with A-B testing, um, in, in marketing, for example, um, is the client side. And what, what basically happens there is there's a snippet that you embed on your site. And that snippet sets a cookie um, based on some randomization that happens and says, if this cookie exists, then show people this variant. And I'll explain in a second how this showing this variant works. Um, and if it doesn't, um, or if the, the cookie says you're in the control, then it shows you, just doesn't show any change. Showing this change can also be various kinds of ways. So if you look at how most client-side tools work, is they work with JavaScript. So they basically manipulate in real time the, the, the site you're having. So if we do the, 
the very generic and, and probably butchered example um, of, of A-B testing button color changes, um, then you would have, for example, normally a blue button and you want, want to find out if a red button, um, and I already know everybody's going to hate me for this example, but um, you want to know if the red button performs better. So um, you would ingest some JavaScript um, that 50% of the people um, will get ingested on their site um, and that would just, for example, make a CSS change to that button, just changing the color. So that's one way of doing it. With more complex tests where you, it's not just a, a change or like a color change or adding a word, but if you, for example, want to add more complexity, uh, another way would be um, just implementing already that change on the site, hiding it, and then if people are in the variation, just doing the switch for them. So basically hiding the control and showing the variation. Sometimes we call this also a hybrid approach because it's, but it's basically like still um, like showing the, the variation to the, the clients. Something you have to um, remember though is on client side, you might uh, run into something called flickering effects. So if you can imagine some sites take a bit to load and then also the snippet, this JavaScript snippet has to load. So there is timing in between, and especially if those changes happen above the fold, so basically the thing you directly see when opening the page, there might be some flickers, like some, you might first see the control, and then a millisecond later, you might see the variation. And if I look across all the tests where this might have happened, this can also, yeah, um, play with the results a bit in a negative way um, or impact the results. Um, this is basically, if, if you do a lot of these things um, and also, or want to test more complex, uh, more complex things, what I usually recommend if the, the client infrastructure allows it is going for server-side testing. This is basically where this dicing or the, the bucketing is not, only, not done on the, on the client side, but where it's basically also rolling out the changes done server-side. So um, this also allows for, for a far wider variety of, of tests that can be run. Um, for example, you could test various different kinds of checkouts or, um, or say people see different shipping options and stuff like that, stuff that's way more complex than maybe just showing them some more information um, on a given product or on a category page or what it is. Perhaps uh, showing one side or one group free shipping but with an increased price and for the other group we can show a lower price but with shipping excluded for sure i mean th this is yeah, actually, i really like your example this the, the the shipping thing is actually very interesting um because it's like depending on where you are you have to also be a bit cautious of uh like legal issues there um but uh, you, you sometimes in, in some regions you have to um, be very careful um, about price testing because it is a form of price testing in a way. Um, but it's very interesting to to actually uh, gauge: do people are people willing to to pay um, for shipping, or do they kind of expect it to be free? For example, in the Netherlands, um, free shipping is a norm. If if you have to pay for shipping in the Netherlands, people will oftentimes just not purchase from you. So this, these kind of things, and maybe we can also go into this, is like um, just because you get a result in one country um, 
for, it doesn't mean necessarily that you will get the same result everywhere. Um, and if you think about this, then uh, the same applies just because we learned something for, with one company on one side doesn't necessarily mean that it will work for every, for every other shop or even for shops in the similar uh, niche. And this is, um, I really like, I'm pushing for this a bit uh, in this conversation, but it's super crucial because this is basically why we're testing, right? Because we, we just can't take best practices that worked for, for, for someone else and just assume that it works for, for, for the current project as well. And uh, this is basically where we go from just opinionated uh, like ideas or just from, from opinions about uh, whether or not something worked or even empirical studies um, but we actually use tests to, to verify whether or not something works. And uh, I think this, so I if, think... I had to, if I had to reiterate on my initial um, take on A-B testing, this is what it's really about, um, like making sure that we can actually verify our assumptions. Um, bucketing. I mean, as you said, it's uh, not as easy as just doing one test. What I wonder is, uh, what is a good strategy to to actually decide which user goes into which bucket, because I mean, country, as you said, is uh, a pretty good grouping. Like we can say that okay, clearly in the Netherlands they prefer the product with free shipping, but uh, let's say in Hungary they prefer it with uh, without free shipping. So I do actually feel like that is the case in some countries because uh, there are certain cultures where. Free shipping is regarded as a scam, basically, <laughs> right? And uh, but I'm sure there are much more metrics like uh, age, uh, perhaps ethnicity, or I would I would frame it a slightly different way because uh, what we're talking about is not so much bucketing, but really um, bucketing is just the process of of basically dis equally distributing a hundred percent or like a, a certain amount of uh, traffic across these uh, various variations. What we're talking about, or the, the examples oh, you mentioned, is right. basically segmentation. So, um, oh. um, and, and segmentation um, before the test is run, right? Or at least to segment th the traffic. Because you might have an international website, but only want to um, run this test for, say, in my case, the German audience, super small, uh, um, at least compared to the US, super small audience, right? Um, and yeah, for sure, their um, geolocation um, would would be a would be a good way of of doing that. But um, I'm a bit torn on using um, segmentation too much. Um, if the data you're segmenting on is uh, only halfway reliable, or like only somewhat reliable, if we say age, then how do we actually know that uh, people are of a certain age? It's it's super hard to segment that way. What you can do, though, if you have actual user oh, data... We know for um, a fact that everyone is over 18 on the internet. <laughs> oh, is, that, is that the case? Okay. <laughs> no, but like... I mean, um, isn't that what everyone puts in when, when there's like a, a form? Like, when were you born? Definitely actually, more than 18 years ago. <laughs> for sure. I mean, this is, this is also um, not all the data... This proves a point. Not all the data you get is reliable data. Right? Not, people right. will tell you different things than um, what's actually true. So um, I never put my real age. As far as everyone's concerned, I'm always 18. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, well, as, as everyone is concerned, I was born in uh, 1969, the fourth month and the 20th day. <laughs> Actually, I'm always putting my real age. Maybe I should change that. Um, <laughs> but but no, I mean, perhaps. Um, I, th- I think there 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 is this the, the age where you want to be older, and then at some point you 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 put um, like always a, a preferably younger age there, but. Um, get, getting back to the, the the point of segmentation, I think is um, I think segmentation is is not that easy if you um, if if all your if you're basically just getting um, yeah traffic from from everywhere. Like, what's the data you're you're segmenting on? But geolocation for one is is a good one. What you could also do is um, segment based on traffic source, for example. So um, if you want to test behavior only for visitors that come through search or that come from a certain campaign that you might identify via UTM parameters, then that's for sure a way to um, uh, target those specific people. Um, Usually, especially in Germany, um, brands that we work with uh, don't have the hugest amount of traffic. So um, segmenting before the fact is oftentimes hard because then the, the, the traffic that's left over is, is not that huge. Um, so, but yeah, geolocation, especially for international brands, definitely a way to segment. And also something that's sometimes necessary because you might not be able to test things all across the globe uh, on, on international sites. It, it sounds like for segmentation, the broader you get, the the better it is in a sense if you make your segmentation too focused or narrow the results have you know you, you don't always get real data right data that can sure. be you know verified very easily you know so one example is it's really easy to tell if the traffic is coming from a web browser or a mobile browser so segmenting well, you know, desktop versus mobile could be one and you can show mobile browsers a different, you know, option for purchase than you do desktop, you know, because mobile indicates something. So that's one form of segment. Age might be a little difficult because that usually results in some kind of form or input, but country, yeah. browser, there's a few other things that kind of come with the traffic that probably you can segment with. Yeah, you know, sure. but I can I, also, I mean, I, you know, that's one of the things I guess a company really needs to look at or ask itself when it's going to do A/B testing is, well, how do they want to segment, if at all? They may just say, I just, I don't yeah. care. All traffic is what's coming into the site. Let's just work with all traffic versus segmenting. Correct? No, for for sure. I mean, uh, actually, the one you mentioned um, just. Uh slipped my mind for some reason but actually like targeting only for example mobile traffic might for some for some experiments be exactly the thing you want because um maybe this change is only relevant for mobile uh, users um so yeah for sure there's a lot of information that is already sent uh with the traffic um that uh, you can inspect or that, that you can use to 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 target people uh, especially in the um in the in the client side way of way of testing it get it's a bit different if we look at server side testing because sometimes you might not have all the information um available um on the server side is also some sometimes due to uh, gdpr um uh limits um but but yeah for sure 
segmenting results is also something that's possible, but usually only advisable um, for, for very large uh, or high traffic sites. Because what you always need to take into account is if you segment traffic uh, or seg segment results at the end, which means, for example, you could look at, um, you have an experiment for a mobile and desktop and later want to only segment down, uh, mobile users, you still need to make sure that you have an equal distribution in uh, mobile traffic in control and variation uh, and don't have an SRM error in there. An SRM is basically a sample ratio mismatch and uh, this is when there is, uh, like the, the traffic is not equally distributed in that segment. And oftentimes this is like, people don't pay attention to it and say, oh, this one in, 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 in mobile. And I'm like, okay, sure, it might, but the data is not trustworthy anymore because there is an SRM, for example. Maybe testing sounds like a wonderful tool. I mean, especially if done correctly. But I'm sure there are some limitations that you've experienced in uh, in your adventures in this field. I mean, I, I cannot even begin to imagine, but um, I'm pretty sure that uh, targeting, for example, can go very wrong. Like, uh, we may not know for a fact that there is a certain subgroup of users that just um, hate uh, big buttons, and we try to test our size increased call to action on them, and just all of them hate it. <laughs> like, is that a real thing to worry about, or is that just something that... Uh... It's not a thing to worry about, really, um, because that's the essence of what you want to find out. Um, if, you're, if you have an idea of a change and you think, okay, now um, big yellow buttons are the way to go, um, I mean, that's good. But if none of your, uh, your customers, the people in your target audience want, I mean, not sure if this is like a, the proper example, but if, if it doesn't do anything to them, right, um, then yeah, it's a lost test, but it's a one uh, opportunity because um, you're not just deciding to make all the buttons like one color now, but you actually know that um, that what you, your change that you wanted to roll out did in fact not work or it didn't in fact not move the needle in the direction you wanted. And, and this is basically uh, where this, this point of decision-making really comes in because you're not leaving things up to chance um, assuming you're doing it properly, right? And, and you're applying a certain degree of statistical rigor um, to actually know that what you're measuring is correctly measured. But if we, if we go a bit away from this example of a button and make it maybe a bit more tangible um, and, and, and something that, that uh, might actually matter to, to customers, because with buttons, it's usually just, um, if you don't have the traffic of, of Google, um, it's, it's hard to, to test uh, stuff there um, and, and make it matter. Um, but if we, for example, um, use images for in a, in a, on, a, on a product detail page for, for an e-com brand, right? And, and we want to test uh, a very simple hypothesis, a hypothesis um, of do annotated images, so maybe, for example, showing USPs in an, uh, in an image help with, uh, with the conversion rate? Does it help people go from looking at the product to progressing to checkout, or putting it into the card and then progressing to checkout. Um, a very, uh, that's a hypothesis we can easily, um, easily test by 
taking, for example, a very high traffic product or maybe a set of products, um, creating these images for this for these products and just switching them out uh, in the in the variation, and thereby we see okay, does this actually work for our set of products? Um, do people care about the USPs mentioned in in these product images? And thereby we can actually learn something because thereby we know people care not just about the product or maybe uh, the price, but they might actually care about what the product does for them. And this is where you, where you start to go from, okay, we just want to test a couple, couple button colors to actually understanding more about user behavior, um, understanding about what's relevant for them. And then, of course, you can go deeper, say that was a winner. You can, you can, you can go deeper and understand what kind of features, what kind of benefits actually click with them and yeah so um that's one way of doing it but uh, for sure um, i mean the, the idea should always be learning about your users and making decisions not based on your own opinion but based on what the data shows that works sometimes that data is ambiguous because it might not or you might have made too many changes and you might not really know but then you have to just stick deeper and keep going um, and this is where, at least for me, the fun begins when it's not everything is when when not, when not everything is obvious, because um, yeah, then you can really test and, and go into the into the data. And, yeah. Well, it seems like in A/B testing, you know, you you don't want to make tests that incorporate large subsets. You want to test individual items because you don't know what actually is going to change an emotion or an effect. So you ha let's, let's just say you have a website and it's a landing page um, and you want to figure out, are all the components of the landing page optimal, right, uh, for conversion, say for a call to action? So, you know, you might do one A-B test on just the heading. You might do one A-B test on just the pictures, one A-B test on just the, the call button. So it's kind of a sequence of stuff. If somebody were to kind of say, okay, I got a website, I really don't know if it's optimal, where do they start when it comes to A-B testing? Is there kind of something that you, you look at first or does it really matter? What I always recommend doing is before even, even I mean, it's, it's easy to want to really uh, push the trigger, right? It's, it's easy, you want to push that button, start that test. But in, in order to come up with good test ideas, uh, you might want to do some good research. And um, I always say the better the research, the better the test ideas, the better the win rate. And win rate is basically just take 10 tests and the win rate is the amount of uh, tests that win, right? So what I suggest doing is, um, is doing research. And there's many forms of re research you can do. Um, I think one of the best is actually talking to users, understanding what they really care about and then checking does the site or the landing page align with with these needs does it align with the problems uh, um, you're solving for them or they feel you're solving for them um, another is actually looking into data and if we're talking about a landing page something uh, to consider is do people actually see all the relevant information um, do people interact with various parts of, of, the, of the landing page. And for example, if they don't interact or never see the USPs because they're all the way down at the bottom, maybe just 
one idea could be like moving these USPs all the way up um, and confronting people with with uh, with them, right? Or there could be like many uh, like landing pages are vastly different, right? So um, there is not one blueprint, but uh, the idea is basically finding out uh, what's keeping people from from making a decision, and this decision could be uh, going one step further into checkout. Um, and yeah, so I think the best thing it's it's a bit of a hard answer because um, people don't like doing research most of the time, but it's the thing that will really um, propel propel you forward if you really spend a couple hours like going into the data, looking at reviews, even looking at competitor product reviews, for example, for on, on Amazon, understanding why people love their product, why people hate their product, and using that to, to make a point. And then you can create a backlog of test ideas um, and use uh, a prioritization scheme that's readily available out there. There's like ICE, there's RICE, there's PXL, there's many others. Um, that you can use to then prioritize these test ideas based on what you think sometimes, but also some, some are more objective where you would see, okay, is this above the fold? Is it on a high traffic site? And all these kind of things. And then uh, pick the first idea, test it, and then uh, see what the outcome is. And don't forget one thing, uh, create a good hypothesis. Uh, a good hypothesis yeah. uh, we talked a lot about making small and granular changes, like moving content around or adding annotations to pictures or changing the color of buttons, <laughs> which is everyone's favorite example, I know. But generally some people make a living doing that, so who am I to judge? Uh, what I, I'm wondering about is, uh, is, uh, is it normal or um, is it even ever a thing to do like a full rebrand and A-B test that? Like, let's say I have a very uh, reserved, <laughs> business-oriented page, and then one day, uh, for some reason, someone comes to me with a theory that uh, we should, actually, we should be marketing to teenagers with, with lots of Photoshop pictures that are kind of nonsensical, but they look fun. And I mean, a lot of brands do this, to be honest, that like their marketing makes zero sense, but it's, uh, it's just fun. So I guess, the question is, like, uh, is it normal to test for the fun factor? I mean, you just said people, uh, there is a point because people do this for a living. So uh, I, w I would even say I'm testing oftentimes for the fun factor, um, but for, for testing sake, right? Um, but I think if we're talking about, um, like, big changes, we were just talking about, like, very granular changes, right? Um, there is a point for that. There is also a point for, or a case for doing very big changes and seeing what happens and then trickling down and, and refining. Um, but even in the case of a redesign, I, I used to be in the, and I'm still more or less am, but in, in, the, in the field or in the, in the group of people who say, yeah, never do a redesign. We did redesigns for a long time before we uh, actually started with CRO. Um, as an agency. We did redesigns for a living. We, we revamped and relaunched so many sites before. The point is, oftentimes it doesn't solve the underlying problem. And one thing that I learned to ask a lot of the times is why. People came to us with, with, uh, 
with the, the wish to relaunch their site. And I, at some point, I started asking why. Well, it's been two years, and I keep asking why. Why do you want to relaunch again? Well, the design is not modern enough. Okay, but, but why, why do a relaunch now? Well, we want a more modern design. And if you ask this question annoyingly too many times, they will tell you, ah, because we want to make more sales, or we want to increase uh, the, the amount people order, or whatever it is. And, and this is the essence. So the point is not, do we test or do we do a relaunch? The, the, the question really is, what do you want to achieve? And if, if what you want to achieve is not doing a relaunch, because it doesn't really solve a problem, then what I usually suggest is you can do a relaunch because there's reasons for relaunch, like replatforming or um, a rebranding of, of a... You, you just mentioned the, the, um, the total uh, rebrand, re right? There, there, is a, there, is a, there is a case for this, but what I would always do is, like again, do research. Um, and when we first started doing CRO, we didn't start with A-B testing. We started with what we now call um, conversion redesigns. And this is basically um, understanding, doing research with the, with the current customers, understanding why they buy and what's keeping them. Similarly to what we do um, for research for A-B testing, but, um, or for CRO in general, but um, basically understanding how we can optimize a site. And if the company is very, let's say, stubborn or for other reasons needs to, be, needs to do a, a, a redesign or a rebrand, then yeah, sure. But at least let's do the best informed way of, of, of doing that. And this is doing research. And even now we, we sometimes, um, we, we, I think last year in, in November, we had a client, no, sorry, it was September, October, we had a client, they, they had to do a redesign. The reason was there was, I would say 50 or something developers that had worked on that Shopify theme and it was just more, it, it took more time to maintain that theme than to do, uh, than, than to develop a new one. And what we did though, was we uh, worked with uh, one of their designers and their idea of how the new brand should look like and all these kind of things. And we started testing individual features against the current version of the site. So taking away the risk, or at least some of the risk that's associated with doing the full big uh, big relaunch and um, slowly but surely incorporating these things into the into the already existing theme what this then does is um, yeah just reduce risk but also already um, make users uh, accommodated in a way uh, in the in the new brand language we, we tested things like a new menu structure we tested things like um, I think a new cart um, with with uh, very different things. I think I have a case study on LinkedIn about that um, if, if people want to see visuals. But we tested a variety of things to, to reduce that risk because every change introduces risk, but also not changing something also is risky because you don't know if the current version is the, the best one. The business goals should always kind of be in the forefront of many people's minds, but many business owners, they instinctively know, well, of course I want to do this to grow my business, right? But they're not able to kind of communicate that. So for them, it's, well, I think I need to change my brand, right? 
all, all anytime a, a, a business owner comes to us with some kind of development request or this is what I need to do, the assumption is always they want to grow their business, right? But the, the question, and I wish I had an A-B test for this one, uh, is what is the place to start? What is it that they actually need to fix versus redesign, right? And so I guess part of the goal or part of the, the use case for A-B testing is to start going through what they currently have as a business platform and figuring out what is the low-hanging fruit, right? So if it's a marketing website, it's going to be calls to action, right? Uh, that's what they need. They, they need to get calls to action because that starts the business process. But on an e-commerce site, uh, it could be anything from the photos that, that are used to display a product to the order uh, process to whether shipping is free or not free. So there's a lot of different kind of opportunities to use A-B testing to figure out what they want, right? And a lot of people use it for simple stuff like UX, right, which we've discussed, big buttons, small buttons, that kind of thing. But it sounds to me, Nils, that the strategy of A-B testing really is that of testing what gets the money. Is that correct? I would say yes and no. So the, the question is, again, why do you want to A-B test, right? Somebody has, like, we, we work as an agency and consultancy, right? And somebody pays us. So I can't just work on the things that I like to. But the, the things that, that we test, or hopefully the outcome of these tests, has to ultimately, ultimately make sense at some point. Um, and yeah, the motivator there is money, right? But... What I need to also, uh, like someone creating the strategy for A-B testing um, or for conversion rate optimization, uh, usually that's the kind of program uh, um, context we're working in, is how do we make it, how, how do we optimize our own process? And there, the priority should not always be on just what directly makes more money. Yes, that's the motivator but also looking at what helps customers most. Um, because this is the other side of the coin. Uh, I, w I was recently doing a webinar about this, and it's the, really the customer doesn't care about your conversion rate. Heck, they don't even know what your conversion rate is, so they don't even know what it is. They want to just have their problem solved. And I'm, I'm talking about the end customer, the person coming to your shop or to your site and eventually clicking that button, buying this product. So I think you have to really ask yourself the question, how can I solve their needs? How can I, how can I make it work for them? Because, yeah, you guessed it, people will buy the product if their needs are solved, if you make it as easy for them as possible to, 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 to go through the funnel or whatever it is. And so the prioritization or the priorities doesn't always necessarily lie on what we think is, is, is best, right? Or on, on yeah, but, but really on, on, on how we can best uh, present that to the customer. What, what I want to add also um, earlier is A-B testing doesn't necessarily, or the concepts don't have to be super complex, right? You can also, one of the simplest things you can test is, for example, various angles of messaging. And on landing pages, this would oftentimes 
really be the headline tests. Um, something that's oftentimes skipped because it seems so simple, but it's the first thing that people see, maybe apart from imagery, right? But um, it's, it's, it's super simple to test, and, but it makes such a big difference because people still read text, especially the big bulky headlines. Um, so, uh, and, but having a strategy behind that is also, again, super valuable and, and necessary if you want A-B testing, not only to, to, yeah, if you want it to make sense, basically. So have, that said, having a good copywriter at hand uh, definitely pays off. So we talked a lot about statistical significance and uh, sample sizes, and generally it tends to be anywhere from at least a couple thousand to tens or hundreds of thousands of uh, visits, I suppose. I'm not sure if that's uh, per hour, per day, per month. No, or... I mean, um, we, we, <clears throat> we'd usually be looking at visitors or more specifically users in the, in the tool context of the, uh, of the site, because visitors sometimes, depending on a tool, might be calculated by, um, by, by sessions even. It really depends, but um, and it, there is also cases for, for looking at sessions, but um, uh, but we really usually we would go for for looking at users. Yeah. If a customer comes to you who has a tiny amount of traffic, like a couple hundred visits per month, is it even viable to do an A/B test? I mean, you can do an A/B test; it just won't tell you anything. Um, so the, the point is, uh, if if traffic is too low there is no real point in, in testing because you will never reach that level of, let's just call it significance here, where, um, where you can, at the end, be certain that what you just tested, even though you might have an, a result, but that what you have just tested would be, you'd be able to replicate it in a second test. And, and this is where like error rates come in. Um, so there is uh, the, the false positive, uh, very typical one, right, where you say, okay, this is a winner and you declare it way too early or you just don't have enough traffic to, to declare it, but you declare it anyway. But if you ran this test, say, a hundred times more, you would realize that it would be a false positive because it wouldn't replicate. Um, so that's why for very low traffic sites, and this even goes into the when they have only a couple thousand or a couple ten thousand per month, right? So a-B testing is a game of big numbers, um, then, uh, then sometimes it's more feasible to do other things. Um, uh, what I oftentimes advise is uh, actually doing user testing um, with, I mean, also there is a limit to that, right? It, it's not as trustworthy as is an A-B test. If we look at what's called the hierarchy of evidence where A-B testing and meta-analysis are way up the top, but, but doing research and, and, and talking with, with users or customers um, or doing user tests is also a way to validate things, validate changes that you can't validate in an A-B test with, with the amount of traffic you have. So I think the, the, the point though is, and what I would always do as, as a company is try to understand why. Get, get behind the why and, and, and try to keep this testing mentality still in the back of my head, even if I can't uh, A-B test, because this allows you to also not be arrogant, uh, as bad as it sounds, but arrogant about 
thinking that you know what's best for the user or for your customer. Because most people really don't. Because oftentimes they're not the user themselves. They're biased by loving their own product and they might not see the trees in, in the wood. If that's an expression that works in English, I'm not sure. But yeah, so, so actually um, challenging yourself, challenging the assumptions you have and, and, and testing things, again, even if it's not an A-B test, against, against the real world. Um, but one, one thing that I actually like to recommend, even if people don't have the traffic to support on-site A-B testing, is doing creative A-B testing. Uh, on, on, on the site, for example, if you're running ads in, in, uh, in your Facebook ads or in, in, in other <laughs> yeah, channels. But just because there you can also test. You can, you can test one landing page versus the other. You can, you can test your creatives if you uh, look at your click-through rates. Does it help? You might not be able to infer on, on that leading to more purchases at the end, but you can get one step closer to, um, to your end goal. So yeah, for very small traffic sites, A-B testing definitely doesn't make sense at least not on site, but there is ways to go around that. You know, we've talked a lot about A-B testing for websites, uh, e-commerce sites. You mentioned messaging, probably one of the, the most common uses of messaging for sales or to grow sales is that of emails and email campaigns. Can you talk a little bit about A-B testing for emails and what does that involve and, and what do people test for? In email, you basically have, have one or two goals. First, people opening your email, and this presents you with the opportunity to test your, your subject lines, right? So um, how do you, what subject, lines perform, what subject line performs better um, and maybe even performs consistently better over time? Um, and then uh, what variation of, um, of content in your email gets people to actually take an action. So this could be a call to action in the email and, and later also a, a sale, for example, on your site. Uh, very important also to, to link that then. Um, with email subject lines, um, I, I wish I could give a, like a one-size-fits-all solution here, but again, that, that's uh, up, for, uh, up to be tested. But um, yeah, I think... There's so many things you can do and also depending on, like I, I run a newsletter um, and initially I, I tested various headlines against one another. In the end, I just defaulted to just uh, writing uh, the, the name of the newsletter and, uh, and then having, I think, one, like a sentence uh, of, of what's actually included in it. Um, but yeah, in, in, in content, in, in the email, I guess, uh, just making, making sure that what you want people to do is very clear and that you're offering value and playing around with this like with, with various settings there uh, again uh, like opens opportunities for for a b testing you could for example think about do i directly show the big button of buy here or do i first tell a bit of a story um on on on, on the new product launch or something uh, do i show testimonials um uh, in, in in the in the newsletter or stuff like that or something if you do have the data um uh, personalize the emails with, um, for example, if you know that this person has shopped with you before, showing them relevant products um, in your email. Again, I'm not too deep into the into the CRM and, and email uh, topic in, in that, but 
there is always ways of, of trying to make, um, make the asset, in that case, the email, more valuable to the customers. And um, testing with that is super interesting. I'd like to get into some specifics on how some results can be analyzed. So uh, I suppose that uh, click-through rates are easy enough. Conversions, easy enough again. Um, but I wonder if there are some more uh, holistic measurements. I think that would be a correct term. Like, uh, say, time spent on the site, or perhaps time spent assembling the perfect uh, set of items for my cart and then leaving. <laughs> there is this model called um, basically a KPI tree. And you have to, as a company, I think you have to very, very much understand what you want to optimize for, what is driving business for you. And usually it's just a couple very simple metrics, uh, like revenue, um, retention, um, and say conversion rate, right? There is, you could, there's a very, very like nice trees uh, online that you can find and like, but then with, with every tree, um, they have branches and they might branch off into a couple, uh, couple directions. So if you look at what's really important to you, um, sure, it might be conversion rate. It might be, um, it might be uh, as you said, time spent on page. But the question is, and, and we've had this uh, a lot of times where people are like, but yeah, this experiment performed so much better. We had uh, like a, a bounce rate dropped by, by 20%. But does that really affect our revenue? What's really important to us? And I think this is a question that every company has to answer for themselves. Look at YouTube, for example. They, YouTube optimizes for, for something uh, called, I think, average duration uh, of video. Oh, I think watch time. I think watch time or watch minutes is, is something that YouTube optimizes for. So for them, it's super relevant that people spend as much time as possible on the page that people like, go from video to video to video. On an e-com site, if you optimize only for a time on page, you can make it as complicated as possible for people to put things into the cart because they might spend more and more time just uh, like getting to their end goal. And they might be there for 50 minutes and so frustrated at the end that they just cancel. But you have a very, very like, long time on page. So the question is, does it really help? And also, is there, is there a limit to it? So maybe three to five minutes is the maximum that you can actually allow people to, to, um, to be on the site because after that they might get bored or they overwhelmed with all the other things. Um, or another example, if we stay with this, is um, if you want people to explore too much on your site, maybe they keep on exploring, exploring, but never get, get to actually choose a product. So, again, the question is, like, what's relevant for, for like, in, in your specific case? Um, and what I really recommend is just, um, most companies do have that, especially the, the more mature ones, but, like, creating, like, such a KPI tree and understanding how various metrics impact or um, pay into other higher-level metrics and then uh, going from there and, and uh, yeah, but... What I would also recommend in that is like just creating a customer journey, maybe on a piece of paper, 
and writing the, the measurable, measurable KPIs at every step of the way and then going for that or going for the one, one KPI after uh, the one that's currently um, relevant at, at that step you're optimizing for. It, it sounds like a, a strategy is almost like kind of lay out what your KPIs are so you can see them. Kind of do some research to figure out on your current site what's working and what may not be working and kind of fix that stuff. And then look again at your KPIs and say, okay, is there really some questions here? Let's first look at, say, messaging and marketing. And, okay, we do a little testing on messaging and marketing. That fixes maybe one KPI. And, okay, well, let's take a look at the buying process or the selection process and test in those areas to fix another KPI. And that kind of may give you an A-B testing strategy out of that. Is that correct? I would say so. So, I mean, with, with everything, you have to start somewhere. And uh, especially with A-B testing, because it is somewhat complex, I would not make it too complex uh, in the beginning. So starting with something like messaging, that's super easy to get the ball rolling really helps. But then refining that over time and, and looking at uh, what we call test spread. So basically looking at where are we testing at the moment and what other assets can we start testing on uh, in the future. Can you give kind of an example of what is uh, your traditional or what is the most requested kind of A-B testing that you do? So the most requested thing is usually, or people come to us with, hey, I want to optimize. Like if it's e-com, right? Uh, people come to us with wanting to optimize their conversion rate. And, and usually they come with very abstruse ideas of, oh, I want to double my conversion rate, say in, in, in two months, where I usually have to already start um, putting the brakes in a bit and like putting them, their feet back on the ground. And this is usually not what's, uh, what's feasible. Usually the request is um, for us to optimize their conversion rate because this is usually the most pressing issue. Um, they're not making enough sales, especially now with, with rising uh, costs of, of ad spend, of acquisition costs. This is usually what the most pre pressing thing at first um, from a methodo methodological standpoint, <laughs> or what it's called. Um, it's, it's usually um, either, people don't usually, don't, necessarily come to us with a request to A-B test. It's usually just help us optimize our conversion rate. And one way of us doing that then is either giving them an audit or, or really um, like building up an experimentation program to uh, continuously optimize the site. Um, and optimize, optimizing, the, the, the phrase here might be a bit misleading because sometimes it's really also just um, helping them understand what's really relevant for, for their users um, and then step-by-step step putting this into the site um, or may, maybe just removing a lot of stuff. Also very, very, very fun. And then concerning 3Tech, um, can you tell us a little bit about the company and how do you usually engage with people? Sure. Um, so we're an agency slash consultancy. Um, I think I mentioned it in the beginning a bit, um, but we basically help companies build up an experimentation program, start with A-B testing, and use CRO to drive growth. Um, 
I kind of like what we do now um, because I try to not only function as an agency, but really um, at some point start transitioning our service into into um, into helping them do it themselves, which is especially important for bigger companies because we help companies build up this process, um, initially drive it ourselves, uh, sometimes fully uh, autonomously, um, but over time um, our goal is always to um, to make this a, a core business capability to be able to test as a company and uh, yeah and make it work for them and then sometimes we we uh, are still on as consultants or help them with with problems along the way but yeah that's usually how we do it so yes last question in your opinion what is the future of AB testing the future of AB testing I, I, I love that question I hate it at the same time uh, I gotta be honest, um, because for me, A/B testing is as passionate as I am about it. Um, it's a tool, and I think a tool that won't go away. I think, though, the the, the position of it will change at some point, um, especially as um, the importance or even the the maturity of AI um, uh, continues to grow. Um, because, especially like we, we were talking a lot about um, brands that don't have a lot of traffic, um, brands for whom A/B testing today is is not very feasible. Um, in some communities, people are already talking about something like synthetic users, where AI um, helps based on, on previous data to inform uh, on on what, for example, a variation. Uh, could, could have as an, as an outcome, as a result. To date, not very reliable, but I'm very, very much interested to see uh, and, and work with these kind of tools in the future and, and see how they stack up against uh, current A-B testing technology. And uh, basically, for me, the most important thing is how can we use these tools to help companies make the right decisions? So um, I think A-B testing is here to stay and uh, just looking forward to how we can enhance um, enhance the process uh, in of itself. Nils, thank you so much for helping us see the difference between the A and B of A-B testing. Well, that's about all the time this episode has today. Before you go, dear audience, you might want to consider this important question. Will you take what you learned here and make a positive impact in your business with it? For our listeners, please subscribe and click the notification to join us on our next Screaming Box Technology and Business Rundown podcast. Until then, choose wisely and use A-B testing to grow. Thank you very much for taking this journey with us. Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business in the first week of every month. Please help us by subscribing, liking, and following us on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects or topics you would like us to discuss in our next podcast by leaving a message for us in the comment sections or sending us a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy. <laughs>